Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode was recorded on Friday, September 27th, 2019, starting at 8.45 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 224th episode of the show. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologers Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees about the astrological forecast for the month of October of 2019. But first, at the beginning of this show, we're going to catch up and talk about what we've been up to since our last uh, forecast and discuss a few miscellaneous astrological topics that are happening in the news. And then eventually, about 45 minutes into the episode, we're going to transition into talking about the forecast for next month. So if you want to just jump ahead straight to the forecast and you don't want to listen to the pre-forecast discussion, then you'll be able to find timestamps on the description page for this episode on the astrologypodcast.com website or just below the YouTube video if you're watching the video version. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. Uh, hey guys, thanks for joining me tonight. Hey Chris. Hey guys. Hey, so we're having some connection issues with uh, Austin's internet, so we're going to not do uh, video, but we're going to, I think in post, like put a really striking picture of Austin in place for that, so... I'm sure you have something striking we can use, right, Austin? Well, some of the pictures from the uh, from the As Above event turned out pretty nice. Although I'm thinking we could, because this is October and uh, October contains Halloween, mm-hmm. we could pretend that I'm a ghost. I was going to and- say you like this disembodied voice. <laughs> That's perfect. Right, and maybe Stephen can like Photoshop just a picture of a ghost like into your spot there. All right, yeah. so. Let's get caught up on where what you guys have been up to. Kelly, right now you're actually at an astrology intensive in Oregon, right? Yeah, I'm actually attending uh, Demetra George's Planetary Conditions Retreat in Bend in Oregon. And uh, yeah, she's just had a book come out, so she's teaching from that. There's a group of about 60 of us. I'm not actually the only Australian. There's a couple of Aussies that have flown from the west coast of Australia, which is even further away. Um, plus some people that have flown in from England and of course all over the States and Canada as well. So we're having a really fun time. It's a beautiful location, but of course just, uh, you know, you feel like I actually felt today for a moment, oh, this is like being at an astrologer's boot camp or something, you know, cause it's a five day thing. So it's longer than a typical conference. Uh, but it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, that's exciting. And she's had a huge turnout. There's like 64 people that are there, something like that, which is a lot bigger than her usual intensives. But this is the first year that since she's done one since her book has been out on Hellenistic astrology. Yeah, so I think that's had a huge impact. And there's a real mix of people. Um, there's obviously some people who are attending who are familiar with Hellenistic astrology and just wanting to learn from Demetra herself. Uh, but there is actually about a third of the attendees who are quite new to astrology and just getting started at this is sort of the first astrological event that they're attending. And so that's really interesting too, that they're coming straight in. I don't know if it's the deep end, but they're coming straight into some really rich um, material as their starting oh, place. I mean, that's definitely yeah. drinking from the fire hose. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's no small sips there. Yeah. Well, that's been really exciting to me over the past two years since my book came out where I've had a number of people that have come up to me and said, that either my book was their first book on astrology that they're getting mm-hmm. starting with, or I've had a few people in the past few weeks where they're doing my course on Hellenistic astrology has been like their introduction to the subject in general because they found me on YouTube. So it's been interesting seeing people now starting out their studies of astrology at the very beginning and foundation of the tradition when it started 2,000 years ago, and then 
working their way upward as opposed to how a lot of us have had to do it, which is like starting with modern astrology and then working our way sort of backwards, which is almost an odd way to do it. And it'll be interesting to see what the result of that is over the next few years or the next decade or what have you. I'd actually like to hear if there's anybody that has started studying astrology through me or Demetra's books over the past year or two, what that's been like and how that's been working out for you, just out of curiosity. All right, so you'll be there for a few more days. It's a five-day thing. Yeah, yeah, we're literally, it's hump day today. <laughs> it's the day three. And uh, yeah, so two more days. But uh, yeah, it's been really good. I am really excited to hear from Austin though, because I know he's had a very special event that we haven't heard about yet, but he just did on the Pisces full moon a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the As Above event just take, took place last weekend, right, Austin? Um, it was on the 14th. So it was, I mean, it, it feels like yesterday, but, uh, yeah, it was almost coming up on two weeks ago and I actually chose the moon's ingress into Aries, uh, and its configuration with Venus and Mercury, which had both moved into Libra for the event. I thought that would be, (laughs) uh, boisterous. (laughs) Um, so yeah, as above happened, uh, Gordon White flew out all the way from Tasmania and we had uh, almost 300 people there for one big night. Gordon and I talked for a little bit and then got out of the way. And uh, it was really spectacular. Uh, I'm super grateful for everybody, uh, that everybody, to everybody who came, especially those who flew out from all over the place. Gordon, not in the least, coming out from Tasmania. And Kate, most of all, for doing all of the the backbreaking logistics work uh, and arrangement to make it run so smoothly. Yeah, that that's it looked like an amazing event. You guys hired a professional photographer, which was a stroke of genius, and whoever that was, they did some amazing work just from an outsider's perspective taking photos. But that's crazy that you had 300 people there. That's larger than some like small conferences basically. Like Norwalk usually never used to be more than more than that. No. Yeah, it was it was really exciting to see how exci- how excited it was exciting to see people how excited people were to come out and spend time together and one of the motives behind this event as well as so below which was its companion event in Melbourne last year was bringing people together from different communities and different crowds yeah that's brilliant well that looked like a great event so I know the I think the recording is available now or will be available on you or Gordon's Patreon page, right? Yeah, um the the recording is available on my Patreon and for Gordon's premium members. Brilliant. All right. Well, people can check out your website austincopic.com for more info about that. Um otherwise, in terms of events, we we are actually talking about getting together the three of us in November and we finalized some dates, I think around the 3rd week of November to meet up to record a few yes. episodes of the podcast and to record the yearly forecast, the year ahead forecast for 2020, right, Kelly? Yeah, that's uh, going to be a step up for us, mostly because you guys have moved and now have a live studio that we can come to. Yeah, so I think the main intention was to get together to record our year ahead uh, show, which is really popular. And so we'll be able to be, the three of us will be live together in the studio. I'm so excited about that. Uh, but then of course, because we are making the effort to fly together, to be together, we're going to record a couple of other episodes that are maybe not not month ahead forecast, but more of the ones that people could come back to over time. Uh, yeah, that'll yeah. be just before, like, yeah, third week of November. 
Okay, yeah, and we're going to do our two-part series on the signification of the houses, maybe a Q&A, and who knows, maybe some other bonus episode or live webinar or something. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, yeah. Yeah, cool. so that's going to be really exciting. Cool. And so uh, what else has been going on in the news? Oh, yeah, so in me, if we're just doing retrospective yes, stuff. Yes, What what have you been up to? Well, I did a thing I can now finally talk about because I, I couldn't talk about it until recently, but I actually yes. ended up on the History Channel uh, last month, the very end of the month. The episode aired on season 14, uh, episode 13, titled The Constellation Code. And you can actually, if you do a search for that, you can rent it for like a few dollars on YouTube. But it was an episode of like History Channel's like Ancient Aliens series, which I was told they were doing an episode on astrology, and I thought that the Ancient Aliens series had just become like a catch-all for their like weird episodes on different odd topics. So I did the interview, and I was only in there for like 30 seconds. I flew out to LA and did the interview, and I was only there for 30 seconds, but it went well, and I defined astrology really relatively well, and I think did a good job. The rest of the episode was a lot of stuff about like how astrology came from aliens and stuff like that that I can't really get on board with and can't say that I had anything to do with. You didn't contribute to that part. Um, I did not. Is this, for those of us who might be outside the States, for instance, and want to see the episode, is there a clip that you've been able to get that's on your website or anything like that? Uh, yeah, on my Twitter account, I have like me at the hotel room because it aired while I was at the NCGR conference, weirdly. And so you can see like a little clip of me like holding a phone in my hotel room kind of laughing okay. about it if you scroll back to like the end of August like August 29th or 30th or something like that when it aired but otherwise just do a search for the constellation code ancient aliens and you'll find links to where you can like rent the episode or or where you can watch it on television or what have you cool yeah so that happened uh the NCGR conference happened it was a relatively quiet event but went relatively well in Baltimore and that's about it in terms of in terms of me. So in other news, there has been some news that a lot of people have been asking me to check in because it's been a developing story this week. But basically, mm. um, if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know I've been waiting for this summer to see what would happen with Trump because in Zodiac releasing, which is like one of the main timing techniques that I use. There was supposed to be a major transition this summer, and if you mm. go back and listen to the year year ahead forecast episode that we did last December in December of 2018, um, I talked about the specific date ranges and especially narrowed it down to a date range where the focal point was when he would be in a loosing of the bond, which is like a major transition of some sort on all four levels of the technique, which zeroed in on July 22nd through July 28th, and at the time that ended up being when uh, Robert Mueller testified before Congress for the final time, and it sort of came and went, and we were sort of left scratching our heads and wondering if that was really it and if that was going to have greater implications than it seemed to or if that was pretty much the end of it uh, until this week. Now, a couple of months later, suddenly this um, new controversy surrounding Trump calling the president of Ukraine and trying to do some sort of political maneuvering involving them and involving sort of getting I don't know, just various things. I don't want to get into it. But basically, that news came out this week, and it turned out that that call that he made to the president of the Ukraine happened in that exact time frame of between July 22nd and July 28th of 2019. So it happened right in the loosing of the bond during that critical transition point. 
And what's interesting about that, which Lisa Scheim noticed because she's been tracking this better than I have over the past week or so, is that the news broke when he reached the next loosing of the bond on level four, which just happened this past week between September 22nd and September 26th. So all of a sudden, the whistleblower report becomes public news about the call happening, and then the House, as a result of that, announces that a formal impeachment inquiry has been initiated or has started. So that happened during the next loosing of the bond. So there's still stuff that will come up in the future before this is all played out in terms of his chronology and the time period and this being an unfolding story, but it will be really interesting in retrospect if that ends up being the major thing, which is sort of looking like it is at the present time. Well, it's certainly an event, right? Like It's certainly the type of event that's timed to what you expected from the technique, regardless of what the eventual consequences are. Like People have been trying to get an impeachment rolling for quite some time, and it actually getting, at, at the very least, closer than it's ever been is time to the releasing. I also think that that uh, validates the birth time because there's that Virgo-Leo rising question. Um, and so the timing syncing up this tightly says some nice things about the birth time. Yeah, definitely. It does help to confirm the birth time because that was one of, this has been like a two-year-long or three-year-long sort of odyssey for me at this point because that was one of the questions we had in the immediate aftermath of the 2016 election was, do we have the correct birth time even mm. for him? And are we using the correct zodiac releasing periods? And what I said back then in November of 2016, if you go back and listen to my post 2016 election recap, is we'll know um, if he has a major career transition that really gets rolling at the focal point during this loosing of the bond that's going to take place in 2019. So we're starting to see some of that happen now, and it does seem to confirm the birth time, but we've still got a while to go before. I think he doesn't finish the whole level two loosing of the bond until the spring of next year. So we've got some time to see how the rest of it plays out from this point forward. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I, I'm nowhere near as well versed in American politics as you guys are, but I know the impeachment discussion has been going on for such a long time. It seems quite striking or significant that that has actually now been launched or that proceeding has been officially sort of called. And I, I don't know, you know the specifics, but it seems like there's been an escalation on that side of things. Yeah, well, it's like the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. There's like lots of Democrats have been calling for impeachment for quite a while yeah, now, but, but, but nothing had happened. But nothing had happened, and the leadership of the House was really either stopping that from proceeding or was slow rolling it or something. It wasn't really clear what Pelosi's thing was, and she was therefore having a lot of tension with her her constituents and, yeah. and her, the other party members. But then all of a sudden, this came out this week, and suddenly she was fully on board with proceeding with an impeachment inquiry, which seemed to be quite a turnaround and presumably mm. met, means that they thought that it rose to some sort of level of actually proceeding with things. So you know, we'll see how all of this turns out in retrospect, and that's really what I'm waiting on because you know sometimes you don't know in the moment as things are still unfolding, but it's definitely suggestive that all of this happened during those crucial periods. So if you go back to, the um, forecast episode that we did last December, you can hear me talking about it at about one hour and 55 minutes into that episode. And that was episode 187 of the Astrology Podcast, just for more info about that. All right, so we'll check on that again over the course of the next few months. 
I think that's it for news and pre-forecast discussion stuff that we had to touch on before the forecast, unless you guys have anything else. Oh, I just wanted to add that um, the nature of the impeachment proceedings syncs up very well with the language around loosening the bond. You know, the idea is that it's something that's been there, but is but has been restrained, and it might look dramatic in the moment, but when you look back at a person's uh, past, the the precedent for whatever that is um, is always there, and so you see, you know, in this case, it's external rather than internal. We don't know what's going on inside uh, Trump, um, but people have been wanting to do that, but have been restrained, and there's a loosing of a, a loosening of action. There's a release of action that has been pending for a while. Yeah, and something has been unleashed that was before maybe held back or kept in check. Mm-hmm. Bonded, but yeah, and that's I guess what I what I think is so striking. Yeah, because Pelosi has for a long time been saying, "No, I don't want to go, or this isn't quite grounds for it. We're not doing it yet." But she has now gone forward. So exactly to your point, Austin, the restraint that was holding her is now gone. Yeah. So there should be other important turning points at the culmination period and the completion periods, and so from this point. At this point, that's what we're looking forward to next as the next major turning points for those that study Zodiac releasing and know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to that. Anyway, let's not get stuck on politics for too much, (laughs) uh, especially since that's going to be developing for a while. All right, so let's transition to the forecast. Before we do that, let's sort of get our plugs and promotions out of the way for anything that we have coming up in terms of events or other things. Uh, Kelly, do you have anything coming up this month that you're doing or teaching in October? I do. I have a webinar that I'm doing for Tony at Astrology University. It is on traditional house rulership for beginners. So we're going to be going through how the signs and houses are connected through the traditional mindset in the chart, but really then getting to the rulers of the houses in the birth chart. So you know how to figure out which planet rules your seventh house or your 10th house, your 11th house and so on. So we are pitching this one very much at the beginner level. So I'm just going to kind of come back to basics with that. So for people who are either newer to astrology or newer to traditional astrology and just wondering how we get planets connected to houses, this is going to be a webinar for you. So that is on my website and you can also sign up uh, through Astrology University as well. But that's that's my big thing for October. Yeah, what do you guys have going on? Uh, Austin, what are you up to? All right, so a couple things. Fortunately, no more big events. Um, <laughs> primarily. No person events. Yeah, right. So I'm going to be spending October uh, hard at work on the second edition of 36 Faces. Um, be out before Excellent. Christmas. And then some of the some of the some of the stuff that I elected for Sphere and Sundry last month will actually be coming out in October. The full moon in Aquarius was actually right on top of a big fix or one of the fixed stars, one of the Bohemian stars, Deneb El Gedi. And Deneb El Gedi is uh, it's the tail of the goat, and it's um, wonderfully protective and stabilizing. It's sort of like friendly grandpa energy <laughs> for lack of a better term uh who who believe who thoroughly believes in moral decency but isn't a dick about it would be my 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 read on the vibe 
Um, and then there's also an ancestral series that Kate created um, that we found an election for um, just in time for the season of Honoring the Dead. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so people can find out more information about that on the Sphere and Sundry website? Absolutely. What's the URL for that again? I think it's sphereandsundry.com. I think it's sphereplussundry.com. Okay. Well, that makes things simple. All right. Super easy. Brilliant. Um, as for myself, I am uh, primarily, I'm just trying to push the Patreon right now because like I said in previous months, I'm starting to plan to uh, do more interviews with famous astrologers, but I really want to try to do them in person to whatever extent we can to get better audio and better video, especially for archival purposes with some of these older astrologers. Um, I did one interview that I, I had to do as a distance one, but I was really happy that I got to do it finally this month with Alan Oaken, who was his astrology book was one of my very first books in astrology, so it was a real honor to have him on the show. But some of these guys, he's he's 75 years old and he's in good health, but some some others are sort of getting up there in age. And so I'm feeling a little bit more pressed to try to get some of those interviews while I still have a chance with the the sort of like Pluto and Leo generation, especially. So I am promoting the Patreon where you can sign up if you want to support those efforts of me like either flying astrologers out here to do episodes in person in the studio and get higher quality audio and video or me flying out there, all you have to do is sign up through our page on patreon.com. And we have different tiers where you can volunteer to su- support the production of the podcast by donating a dollar or two dollars or three dollars every time that I put out a new episode, which helps to support the production and everything else. And in turn, you get access to a bunch of benefits and other sort of subscriber bonuses like a behind the scenes newsletter, private discussion forum, early access to new episodes. The ability to attend live recordings, like our audience is joining us today of about 30 people uh, who are watching us as we're trying to work through some technical issues. There's also like other cool stuff, like on the higher tiers, there's an, a full 45-minute uh, podcast each month on electional astrology where we tell you the most auspicious dates for launching new ventures over the course of the next month. Uh, and I'm actually going to release a preview video of that here in, in just a, a few days. Uh, but also, there's an exclusive podcast series. And finally, there's a new tier for having your name listed at the end of each episode. So uh, I'll read some names at the end of this one for patrons who are supporting us. So for more information about that, just check us out on patreon.com uh, because I'm really excited about doing that. And I appreciate it when people support the production of, of what I'm doing and help me to go out there and collect some of these interviews and then share them with the community. All right. Any other news before we we jump into things? I don't think no. so. Austin, do you have anything? No, nothing nothing more than what I've described. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, let's transition then into talking about the astrological forecast for October of 2019. So, this month has a lot going on. I feel like a lot of the months like leading up to like 2020 just has some crazy astrology. I actually went out with and caught up and had a uh, dinner with my friend Cam White the other night. Oh. And he was just like telling me, he was going through the astrology of 2020, and there's just so much going on next year that it kind of boggles your mind. And I'm really curious how we're going to get through all of that in our year ahead forecast episode because there's just so much stuff going on. But it really starts to, we're starting to get there. It's starting to heat up, and we're going to start seeing some of those changes pretty soon. And it feels like October. Has some stuff going on, or has some some shifts starting to take place? 
it's it's a big year next year. <laughs> right. Like for a year, for 20 years, for 200 years, like there's a number of significant cycles of varying lengths that are resetting or restarting throughout the course of 2020. So, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that I did for As Above um, was I, d- I did, I spent some time with the next mm, 15, 20 years and just walked myself through all of the outer planet configurations um, and looking at the eclipses and in connection with that. And it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. I think that, um, I, you know, I, I think if we've got, if there's like a, mm, how should we say, an effective mode to coming into next year and the year after whatever is not to expect things to get back to normal, but to, to learn, to, to gear up, to, to steer through the weird, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's not about like how can we try and get back to what we used to know, but to find our way forward into something new and different. Yeah, well, we're going to find our way into something new and different regardless. And <laughs> um, we can, you know, <laughs> do a good job at that or wait or for not. it to go back to normal. <laughs> so I'm going to throw up for those watching the video version, the chart for October 1st, so that we can start to see and start to visualize some of the uh, astrological placements for this month. So it looks like when we open the month at the beginning of October, a lot of stuff is still traveling through Libra. Uh, The sun, of course, starts out at 8 degrees of Libra on October 1st, but also Venus is still going through Libra at 21 degrees of that sign, and Mercury is in the last few degrees, starting out the month at about 27 degrees of Libra. So all of those planets at some point during the course of the month are going to shift, of course, into Scorpio and spend most of the month in that sign, at least when it comes to Mercury and Venus. Uh, Mars starts out the month at 28 degrees of Virgo, but then very quickly transitions and ingresses into Libra on the 4th of the month, on October 4th. Jupiter is moving really quickly at this point through Sagittarius, and this is one of our last full months of uh, Jupiter moving through its home sign of Sagittarius. It starts out the month at 18, and then Saturn is now direct and is moving forward at uh, 14 degrees of Capricorn at the beginning of the month. So why don't we go through this chronologically? One of the things I noticed that stands out this month is Mercury transitions into Scorpio on the third, but then it slows down pretty quickly in the second week of the month. Mercury already reaches its shadow because it's actually going to station retrograde this month um, on Halloween. So Mercury is going to station retrograde on Halloween in Scorpio, and already some astrologers are starting to talk about this. Cam White on Twitter is calling this, what is he calling? He's calling this spooky grade because Mercury is stationing retrograde in Scorpio on on the day of Halloween. Uh, That's clever. Mercury going into Scorpio, we're going to have two months of this, including the retrograde. So it is, we're getting into that different part of Mercury's cycle. Yeah, we've got once Mercury enters on October 3rd, we're going to have Mercury there until, oh, I think it's the 8th of December. Yeah. So it's a lot of Mercury and Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of uh, deep thinking or deep discussions about intense emotions. Yeah. And it's just surprising. It's a nice, like, m- mnemonic device that it, like, stations or hits its shadow period at 11 degrees of Scorpio on October 11th. So I feel like people should remember that because some of the events 
and circumstances surrounding the retrograde, if you're paying attention, sometimes they're subtle, but they're already going to start to slowly begin to develop as soon as Mercury shifts into that phase on the 11th. Yeah, that's a really good point because that's that's more that's a little more than half the month, really. Nearly three weeks. Yeah. So let me take it forward. Um, what are some other stuff? I know one of you, Austin, you were talking about in terms of overviews, some of your thoughts on mutual receptions or reception in general, and that was partially centered on or motivated by the fact that Venus and Mars are going to be exchanging signs for the entirety of the month. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just the first week and a half of the month is uh, holds three uh, sign changes. Mercury enters Scorpio, as you just mentioned, and then we have Venus entering Scorpio, and then Mars enters Libra. So it's a very different lineup than what we had in September. It changes, you know, one, two, three. And so with Venus in Scorpio, uh, Venus is in Mars's sign. And then with Mars in Libra, Mars is in Venus's sign. And so there's an exchange of domiciles. There's a, a mutual reception at the sign level. And I've been, uh, that's something I've been thinking about for a long time. And for a while, I've been poo pooing mutual receptions that didn't have a classical aspect between them. And so, but I've been thinking that maybe that's not quite right, at least in natal charts. And so, you know, to a certain degree, whether whether there's a mutual reception and it helps or not, um, changes a lot of the way you would interpret the Venus Mars this month. If there's a if that mutual reception actually works, that actually helps out both planets significantly because um, on their own they're in their exile or detriment. They're in they're trying to operate in modes that are very foreign to them, right? Mars speaking Venus's language, Venus speaking Mars's language, and actually I'm already accidentally stealing Kelly's metaphor from earlier. Kelly, would you share that? I thought that was just about the best the best angle on exile or detriment that I've heard. Yeah, we were talking before we started today and I was saying that having moved to a country where I don't speak the language, I'm really getting this lived experience of what being in exile means uh, from the, the planetary perspective of, you know, a planet in detriment, we say, you know, it's a planet in exile. And, you know, everything just takes a lot more effort and a lot more energy. And when you do get out and you do a task, you know, if you go to the store or you're trying to do some errands, you because you don't have the language, you can do the basic component of go to the store and buy the thing. But if you've got questions or you're trying to get more of a nuanced specific thing, that's almost impossible for me to do because we live in the French speaking region in Belgium and I don't speak French. So I either have to wait until my husband can come with me because he is a French speaker or I can try Google Translate. I'm getting very familiar with Google Translate on my phone. But even still, you lose something, you know, from when you actually would speak, you know, if in your native tongue or with, you know, you both have a common language. So it, it, I've really been thinking a lot about this idea of a planet in exile and how you can get things done at a basic level, but without that level of detail or nuance that you could get done in other circumstances. And it just seems to sort of illustrate there's like that rough edge and things aren't as refined for a planet that is in exile. Yeah, I love that. And that's 
why in my book I tried to suggest bringing back some of that original language of referring to planets opposite their domiciles as being in exile, because that's as far away from the home sign as a planet can get, basically. And that's how it was originally conceptualized, was the planet being in a foreign country where it doesn't speak the language and it can't really be as effective in doing its job. Well, and Yeah, I mean- my experience is I don't speak the language, but you might not have status to work or, you know, there's so many things. Yeah. Anyway, it's just very interesting. And I know you've been talking about that word exile, Chris, which is why it has stuck stuck with me. Austin, were you trying to chime in there? Yeah. Um, um, all of this is entirely in accord with Bonatti's teaching metaphors on dignity. They're all about, all of them are about what kind of status you have in a particular land. Um, and he goes from a rulership mm. where you're the sovereign um, to dignity by face, where you have no citizenship, you don't know anybody, and you've just got to do it on talent alone. Um, you know, he, he describes triplicity dignity as being a citizen, right? You don't have special privileges, but like you do have rights. Um, uh, dignity by bounds or terms is um, you're not a citizen, but you've got family there that can hook you up. And so when a planet doesn't, when a planet's in its detriment, in most cases, it doesn't have any of that. And so it's a stranger in a strange land, and it follows that it wouldn't be able to speak the language. So yeah, it's all extremely coherent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but the, so yeah, metaphor is about like being at home versus being at away, but then to your original point, Austin, that's also something I felt very strongly about. And that's why that was the lecture that I gave at Norwalk in the NCGR conference that you have to still take into account what the relationship is between the planet and its domicile lord, uh, because that can hugely change the condition of the planet zodiacally, especially if it's in a sign that it otherwise doesn't do well in. Because then it's the difference of if the planet has reception and has some relationship with its domicile lord. Even though it may be in a foreign country, it may have a host that's trying to help it out and give it a little mm-hmm. bit of support versus, let's say, somebody that doesn't have any support whatsoever and therefore really flounders even more versus somebody who's able to make the best out of a situation that's maybe not um, as easy for them naturally. Yeah, perfect. Well, and Kelly's married to someone who speaks the language, right? So. Strong aspect conjunction to a planet that's much more comfortable in that sign. Yeah, it's uh, that's what I was just thinking, you know, when you guys were talking that, yeah, having someone that helps. I mean, my husband speaks the language, so when he's around, it's very easy. Yeah, it's just so that idea of the planet and the host. Yeah, is your host well resourced or are you attempting, you know, do they they're going to offer you what they have, but they don't have a lot to support you? Yeah. So, and this month, so Venus and Mars are exchanging signs, and that's like a little bit lower down on my hierarchy in terms of like mutual reception because they can't see each other, but there's still something there. There's still, because they're exchanging signs, that's a lot better than if they were in the signs of their detriment without having any sort of reciprocal relationship whatsoever. And I think that was part of what you were trying to say as well, Austin, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I've I've poo pooed um, that mm. kind of mutual reception without aspect in the past, but I've been rethinking it, and so I now now I get to take a look at it. Yeah, definitely. 
So that'll be prominent because that's happening like most of the month because Venus and Mars are going to spend most of the month in those two signs and Scorpio and Libra respectively. Uh, what else do we have going on this month? Yeah, so we got the dates. Uh, Mercury moves into Scorpio around the third, Mars into Libra around the fourth, and then Venus into Scorpio around the eighth of the month. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's basically like, Austin, you're going to have lots of time, um, which is obviously what you're looking forward to uh, with Venus in Scorpio and Mars in Libra for four weeks or so. So eventually later in the month in the second slash third week around the on the 15th of October, we have our first lunation, which is a full moon in the sign of Aries, right? Yeah, I think it's around the 13th. Yeah, it's a full moon at 20 Aries. And uh, that's going to kind of pick up the Sun square Pluto activity around the same time. And Jupiter is involved as well. Uh, Jupiter will kind of sextile and trine the full moon. So that's a bit of a busy 48-hour period. Yeah, that's really nice mitigation having Jupiter right at 20 degrees of Sagittarius by that point, exactly sextiling the sun and exactly trining the moon in sort of balancing out the tension of that T-square with Pluto at 20 degrees of Capricorn hitting the two luminaries. Yeah, there's there's sort of yeah the two different things going on, the Sun-Jupiter and the, the Moon-Jupiter. That's definitely a little bit of a, a, a boost or a, a helper. But it does feel like maybe there is more of this intensity or a heaviness around the full moon itself because of that square to Pluto. It's, it's a full moon in a fire sign to start with, which always kind of kicks things up a little bit more from a drama activity, maybe ex- expressive slash potentially a little bit explosive with people dealing with their emotions or getting things out. But uh a lot more intensity with the Pluto involvement there. Yeah, I would be a little bit less glowing in my endorsement of this full moon. Oh, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to endorse I, this one, Austin. <laughs> I, I, I would. I would character. I do love that trying to Jupiter. I would call that a saving grace because if you just look at what's angular from the full moon, um, it's only malefics or trouble planets. Grace. It's, you know, like what's angular from the full moon is Mars, Node, Saturn, Pluto. And so thank God for that Jupiter. But it's, you know, there's a lot of rough there. There is a lot of rough there. I I think there is an explosive, volatile kind of tone to that. So that's our first lunation in the month. uh, And that's the full moon in Aries on the 13th, as Kelly said. Let's see, moving forward forward into the month. One of the things that's kind of forming all month that, that I noticed that doesn't go exact till very late is that Mars-Saturn square. Yes. Uh, but that seems like one of the more tense aspects this month. What yeah, do you think? I, yeah, I picked that as my most difficult aspect for this month. It's I th- the, challenge, the difficulty is it doesn't happen in isolation. Nothing in astrology does. So Mars right. will square, scat, but a square Saturn, 15 Libra to 15 Capricorn around the 27th or 28th, just depending on exactly where you are. But we also have the new moon in Scorpio at the same time. And so the new moon in Scorpio is ruled by Mars, which happens to be in a square to Saturn. And so both the lunations in October have, well, they're both ruled by Mars to start with, and but they both have these other kind of tense qualities that are triggered around, you know, the aspects are happening around the lunation itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we haven't talked about oppositions to Uranus this month either. 
Right. And Austin highlighted that as basically anything that goes through Scorpio, which is all the inner planets this month, have to run through the opposition with Uranus during the process and first really early on in that. Austin. Yeah, everybody has to pay the toll. Pay the toll. I like it. The, it's, the, a, we- it's a the weird, weird, weird tax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tells you what the toll is going to be. Okay, so the first one is Mercury, which looks like October 7th. It opposes Uranus from yeah. five, 5 Scorpio to 5 Taurus. Yeah. Uh, then we get Venus goes into Scorpio and opposes Uranus on October 13th. Yep. And then eventually the sun goes in there, and the, that's that lunation, that second lunation. Is, yes. That new moon in Scorpio that's happening on the 27th, uh, 27th to the 28th. Yeah. Um, is at four degrees of Scorpio, and it's very, very closely, almost exactly opposed to Uranus at uh, four degrees of Taurus. So that new moon is pretty much primarily characterized by that opposition with Uranus and the sort of weirdness or instability uh, or sort of unexpected and erraticness sort of energy that that brings. Yeah, there'll be some surprises around then. Right. So it's like a new surprise, though, because it's a new moon. So it's like setting. Foundation or laying the seeds for something, but maybe it's something that that you didn't expect, or something that sort of comes out of left field. Yeah, I mean, I definitely get the out of left field because it is Uranus, and anytime we're talking about triggers to Uranus, we want the expect the unexpected kind of motto. The only thing that I did notice is that these oppositions to Uranus are all happening, you know, four to five degrees of Scorpio to four to five degrees of Taurus. So there is a little bit of a repeated place of activity um, throughout the month with the Mercury opposition, the Venus opposition, and then the Sun. So whether there are developments along the same theme or along the same storyline, because of course for all of us, this four and five Taurus Scorpio will be on a particular axis in our chart. So there'll be a pair of houses that will each be um, having to pay our tax on, as you said, Austin. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's interesting though, right? With Uranus, um, sometimes it's tax. Sometimes it's it's the tax is having to adapt to to an unexpected event, um, and it can be an unexpected opportunity, an unexpected connection. But you know, one of the things that's consistent about Uranus is that even whether it's positive or negative, negative, you usually have to redraw plans. You have to change your schedule. You have to make room for something that you hadn't accounted for. Although if you're listening to the podcast, you can now account for it by leaving a little space open to pivot or adjust. I mean, you can try, but I mean, how many astrologers, when they actually have Uranus come up in their personal life, even seeing it come 10 years or like 20 years ahead of time, there's still sometimes a curveball that you can't always anticipate. You know, you can only go so far as just to, to expect the unexpected, but that in and of itself is not always super detailed once you actually get to the matter at hand. Yeah, well, but you don't need to know what it is to leave space in your schedule. If you leave Slack, then you've got room to adapt to no matter what it is. Um, and so you can just leave space for the unknown rather than you know over-scheduling yourself as I like to do, um, where everything, everything has to work out because everything is really tightly packed. Mm-hmm. But if you leave room, then you can, you know, if, if, you know, then you've got room to move when something does or does not happen. Yeah, if you have like a a really delicate house of cards built up, 
that is yes. entirely entirely like premised on the table not being shaken at all during that exact time frame, then you're going to have a much harder time than if you just have a couple of cards on the table. Exactly. Totally. All right. All right. So try to try to maintain some flexibility around that new moon in Scorpio uh, late in the month, and that's actually funny because that's doubled because right around then is also when Mercury's stationing retrograde. Uh, just a few days later, as I said, on a Halloween at 27 degrees uh, of Scorpio, 26 degrees, 26, 27 degrees. Yeah, and we get a bit of a little bit, a little bit of a weird aspect forming where Venus is actually applying to Mercury because Mercury is in station, and Venus, of course, will be going faster than him. So that's sort of like the last aspect, and then Mercury goes into retrograde there, just right at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm actually a fan of that because that seems like a much smoother retrograde, not just because it's sta- basically conjoining Venus at the same time that it's stationing retrograde, but also you'll notice that there's not really any close hard aspects with outer planets. And I feel like the past few retrogrades that we've been through have been kind of rough in terms of that. Like over the summer, we had the Mercury station retrograde conjunct Mars, or we've had other ones, you know, squaring Neptune, where there were greater issues with like miscommunication or the one conjunct Mars where there were greater issues with like um, arguments or disputes. But this one is sort of clear of some of that and just has that kind of nice conjunction with Venus. Yeah, it's less complicated certainly than the one over the summer. It's, you know, I'll take a whole sign opposition to Uranus for $10, Alex. It's ruler being, being Mars and Mars caught up in everything that Mars is caught up in doesn't excite me, but I'll take it over the one that we had a few months ago. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point that it is still taking a place sort of in the vicinity of that whole Mars-Saturn square. Which we kind of didn't speak too much. Yeah, we kind of just wanted to skip over that, but that is going to be the more difficult aspect of the month. That's also one of the ones we had the most trouble with, with finding electional charts this month and pretty much had to just avoid the very end of the month because- that tense Mars-Saturn aspect is pretty tricky to maneuver around. Yeah, it's it's grindy. It's very grindy, isn't it? I'm not a fan of this Mars-Square-Saturn aspect. I think there's going to be that sort of heavy, sluggish, pressured, back against the wall, but ten things due that day, or you know, push comes to shove. It, it, there is a real sense of pressure with that. Yeah, and. With them where they are with Mars in Libra, Mars in Libra, a lot of times, um, one of the issues with Mars in a Venus ruled sign is people just experience low energy levels. They'd rather do Venus stuff than doing, you know, hard stuff. And, you know, and squaring Saturn doesn't speed Mars up when it's already in that condition. No, that's a beautiful point, actually, Austin. Yeah, that Mars just wants to do Venus stuff and then Saturn. Saturn is just sort of very slow anyway. Yeah. And, you know, of the two possible squares between Mars and Saturn, it's this one with Mars superior Mm. that puts both in full aspect to each other from a Vedic astrology perspective. Saturn gives a full aspect to its 10th. Mars gives a full aspect to its fourth. And so from a Vedic perspective, this is the, the harder of the two squares with when Mars is superior, which is the case here. Sure. So um, let's see if we can break down just some keywords for Mars squaring Saturn. 
I mean, um, I was thinking a lot about like malefic energies recently, but one of the things in the best case scenario that Mars is really good about is being decisive, whereas Saturn often tends to be the opposite, but it tends to indicate inaction, which in its most positive sense can be you know, slowing down and thinking things through ahead of time in a really detailed manner before initiating actions so that you can do it really deliberately and really effectively, but sometimes more slowly and um, it can take a while to sort of get going. So having a square between those two, we often end up describing it as tough or difficult or not great energy just because it's contrasting so wildly in terms of being diametrically opposed sort of impulses. And sometimes when those impulses hit a sensitive part of your chart, it can indicate like a major tension of two different parts of your life that are being pulled in opposite extremes and are coming into some sort of conflict or, or clash with each other. Uh, yeah, and I think that Mars is normally very decisive, although in Libra, that's one thing he does really struggle with is making a clear choice. Mm. And so I, I did wonder if that feeling of of indecision or feeling pressured to make a choice, but feeling very unsure, even quite anxious about what to do or which is the best option. I wondered about some of those uh, experiences being really intense at this point in time. Yeah, I think this one may be good for producing anxiety. <laughs> I, I, right. I just love how you say that, Austin. This is good for producing this. Anxiety and indecision. Like indecision, I think, would be a really good keyword for this because you have that doubling up of Mars and Libra can sometimes be indecisive and Saturn can delay taking action. So that sort of like compounds each other in a way. Yeah, I find that Mars in air signs tends to stir up anxiety. Yeah. And that anxiety is actually connected to indecision. Yes. Um, where you feel like you're supposed to do something, but you can think of five different ways to do it and none of them are the right one. And so you just you know, flit from uh, flit from option to option without being able to commit to any and build up like a good foul wind inside yourself. It's it's so true, though, Austin. Yeah, because you know Mars can be associated with disturbances or things that become unsettling. And I find I agree with you completely. Mars in air signs in general can be uh, a bit of an anxiety trigger. And yeah, absolutely. Psychologically, indecision leads to anxiety. Anxiety creates indecision. Or like it's a it's a horrible feedback loop. Those two things. Yeah. So don't get caught in it, or I don't know. You know, be aware and like have your mental health self care things that whatever you need. Yeah. the 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 move there is obviously have the have the wine ready next to the bubble bath yes. with the chocolate. And the whatever music is pleasing. I love it. Bring in the Venus things. Is that where you're going with that? Yeah, that's actually, I, you know, I wasn't thinking Venus, but yeah, like moon Venus stuff, right? Yeah. Um, just, you know, it, it's a configuration that is likely to generate more anxiety than normal. Um, and so if you have some moves, you know, have those ready, right? If yeah. you have some equipment for when the going gets anxious. <laughs> yes. But it's it's a good point because, you know, if you're someone who likes to have a massage that helps you or you like to go out for a big hike, you know, you can get these things set up in advance knowing that 
I mean, what day is the aspect exact? The sun, the 27th, 28th. I mean, we're going to have a good couple of days before and after at the exact yeah. aspect. It's really close to the full moon or excuse me, the new moon. Yeah. And then because Mars is the ruler of the new moon, I thought it's just really dialed in to that time frame. Right. Well, and so one of the ways that that will work out is Mars, Saturn, frustration. Uh, frustration is a keyword. Yeah. But Mars ruling the new moon, uh, which is opposite Uranus. I'm so frustrated with this. Fuck it. I'm going to do something else. Or yeah. like, you know, just let me out of here. Um, and maybe that's just like two days away from whatever normal and frustrating it is, or w whatever normal and frustrating is. Um, but there's definitely like buildup and a desire to release, get some freedom, get some space, all those um, desirable Uranian things. Yes. And actually, yeah, Austin, you just phrased that beautifully. I hadn't quite pulled that together in my own mind that the Mars Saturn piece is sort of hard. So you almost just do some of the, you look to the Uranus as a way of taking a break from the whatever, you know, you have one heavy area of life and then there's like, I could just go and do this other wild thing for a little while and get some space, I guess. Yeah. And it's worth noting that, um, that uh, Uranus is in a Venus ruled sign. Mm. And so our ideas of liberation or freedom from constraint and, and stress are going to look uh, increasingly Venusian over the next several years, right? Uranus, is, we're so used to Uranus coming from Mars ruled Aries yeah. because of the last decade. But like, this is a different conception of of freedom and different reasons to rebel. Beautiful. Definitely. That's actually making me feel better about this time frame, Austin. <laughs> Austin, always the optimist. Yeah. Well, clearly I've failed in my sacred duty. <laughs> right. Um, so it. I also think sometimes, like depending on the sect of the person's chart, if they have a day chart or a night chart, they're going to tend to have a tendency to want to overdo either Mars or overdo Saturn. And when you have a square like this, if it's hitting a sensitive part of your chart, overdoing one of those could lead to repercussions. So it's like Mars is going to want to take action, but then you might run into a wall if you take action too quickly without thinking things out. Versus some people, if they're going to struggle with Saturn, they need to be decisive and need to take action, but they're going to get caught up worrying or having fears surrounding what the outcome might be. And they might, if they wait too long, sort of miss the opportunity and end up regretting it in retrospect. So I would be careful at having extreme tendencies to go in either direction with that. And instead, the key surrounding this square towards the end of the month around the new moon will be trying to find balance between those two extreme tendencies because going in one direction all the way or the other could um, backfire in some way. Yeah, definitely. You'll get feedback from the other planet. Right. Totally. Chris, you just pulled up the moon Mars conjunction. Yeah, it's just I noticed that, you know, because the new moon takes place like a day, day and a half or two after the square that the moon actually passes over and conjoins Mars and squares Saturn right before the exact Mars Saturn square takes place. So this happens around October 26th. So whenever that happens, the moon like comes up and highlights uh, an aspect like that. Sometimes that can be the real trigger. It's a beautiful point. Yeah. So to be aware that some of this stuff is is happening even before the Mars Saturn is exact. Yeah, yeah. That that and Mars moves slow enough that 
that that Mars Saturn square is you know really something to keep an eye on for at least the last third of the month if not the second half of the month and we'll feel it too uh, on the cancer moon a week before that right the cancer moon very will square all that very good point the weekend before the 20th 21st there we go so on the 20th yeah, yeah yep. the old the old meat grinder axis <laughs> this old <Right>. chestnut <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> Because we are kind of a little bit back in it. We we didn't talk about the sun square Saturn earlier in the month, but it is just picking up some of those vibes. No, it's it's like we're halfway between um, the last eclipses yeah. and the next eclipses, and you know it it's the same issues. Um, yeah. And we're gonna do another set of eclipses in January. Well, uh, late December and January, and so you know we're still working on this Cancer Capricorn axis, and yeah. hopefully we've sorted some things out, but there's, you know, there's still work to do. And this is sort of a, a check-in with that, you know, the sun, uh, the sun and the planets in Libra uh, squaring both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We, it's such a potent access, you know, the, the sort of original access of, of life and then death and departure, uh, you know, with this being the axis of the solstice points and the solstice signs. So it's, yeah, there's some juicy stuff there. Yeah, Kelly, uh, you had a post um, the other day about uh, the Egyptian uh, idea of the souls coming in through Cancer and departing through Capricorn. Yeah, it was actually a partial transcript from my Norwak keynote. Uh, I actually got uh, one of our listeners, uh, uh, who is a fantastic quick transcribist. So I um, asked her to type that up for me, you know, paid her her regular fee. But yeah, so I was able to share that on the website. But yeah, the, you know, the stars originally associated with cancer have, have been associated with life for such a long time, like, you know, going way back more than 2000 years. And then the, the, the stars of Capricorn with, with death and with departure, like literally souls coming in in cancer and, and sort of departing. Um, and that resonates even within the Thema Mundi where we see cancer in the first house, which is the, the part of the chart to do with life. And then Capricorn in the West, which where the Egyptians thought things died and went into the underworld. So I, I don't know. It just seems to me that this whole Cancer Cap, all this Capricorn and with the with the node in Cancer, it's very poignant on so many levels because of that symbolism about the the death of the the, the, the life and then the departure death axis being activated. It feels like such a powerful time of transition. Absolutely, definitely, and. Not to interrupt. I don't know if that was for no, that. No, no, no. You've got an election that you want to share. Yeah, I just realized we need to introduce the electional chart for the month of October. So, and we we had a, we came up with a few charts. Like every month, we do for patrons on the five and ten dollar tiers, we do an auspicious elections podcast, which is like a forty five minute podcast, just for subscribers, where we go through four or five electional charts that are the best. Charts that we've found each month for starting different types of ventures and undertakings using the principles of electional astrology. And we had a hard time deciding which one to highlight this month, but we decided to focus on this one that we always share just one of those on the monthly forecast episode, and then we keep the rest for subscribers. So the electional chart we're highlighting for this month um, really takes advantage of the last. This is really, we're getting into the last phases of Jupiter and Sagittarius, because at this point, Jupiter is moving. Super quickly, it's direct and it's moving super quickly through Sagittarius. 
and it's already going to be moving into Capricorn in December. So this is one of the last full months where if you want to take advantage and start something with Jupiter in Sagittarius, which is such a great feature to have in any electional chart, if you're starting any new major undertaking that's going to last for a while, then you're really going to want to take advantage of it this month. So the chart we decided to highlight takes place on October 22nd, 2019. Um, starting roughly around, let's say, 10.23 a.m., so 10.23 in the morning. I have the chart set for Denver, Colorado, but what you want to do is set the same date and time and then set it for your location and then adjust the ascendant so that the ascendant is somewhere in Sagittarius and then see if you can get the midheaven to be around 20 degrees of Virgo ideally. And you may or may not be able to do that, but the ideal there is to get it sextiling Venus and Mercury in order to mitigate their position in, the, in this chart. Yeah, mm, that's, how you, that's how you mitigate 12th house and 6th house and to some extent 8th house placements is you just make the midheaven sextile or trine them, and then that can often um, really counteract and you'll see some of the more constructive manifestations of 12th and 8th and 6th house placements when you do that. So, but anyways, the main emphasis or focal point of this chart is having Sagittarius rising and Jupiter ruling the ascendant placed in the first whole sign house. And it's in its own domicile, which is Sagittarius. It is direct. And this is also a day chart. And one of the nice things about this month is that since Mars has moved out of Virgo, it's no longer squaring Jupiter. So if you remember from last month, from September, we unfortunately had to avoid a lot of Jupiter elections because it was afflicted by the square from Mars most of the month. Uh, but now we're finally free of that, so we can use our Jupiter rising elections once again. So um, yeah, it's a good chart for Jupiter-related things. Austin, what are some Jupiter-related like electional things, especially that you use for like magical purposes or just keywords? Oh, for Jupiter? I mean, to a certain degree, success in any undertaking. That's why we right. love Jupiter. Um, anything that has to do with education, uh, teaching, expounding a viewpoint. It's not, you know, you might be writing a book and the writing part is mercurial, but the, you know, the, the successful, how should we say, propounding of what you're trying to say, your viewpoint itself. Um, and that could, that could carry over to digital mediums. Yeah, so things like like the affirmation and rectification of things are good broad keywords for Jupiter in a day chart, uh, as well as like the stabilization of things. Oh, so, bringing bringing people together, right, mm -hmm. around a purpose or perspective. Um, you know, there's that uh, cohering, connecting. Um, you know, we're all on the uh, we're all on the same team slash page quality to Jupiter when it's strong. Yeah, as well as uh, like optimism and inclusiveness, other keywords like that. What are some other Jupiter keywords you would use, Kelly? Yeah, I think you guys have said some good ones. Um, generosity, the idea of coming together, yeah, with a shared vision or a shared purpose. Uh, Jupiter is just there's an optimism, so that idea of seeing the positive or seeing the potential. Uh, that sort of forward thinking, hopeful kind of outlook. But I also think, you know, Jupiter often describes that process of wanting to experience as much as you can. Uh, so there's a desire for fullness. Uh, you know, we don't want to skimp out or cheap out on things when Jupiter's around. Well, and I would also yeah. add this is so this is Jupiter and Sag, right? So this mm. is our fire sign, Jupiter. 
And so there's absolutely a quality of adventuring yeah. um, and adventurousness. Um, there's a there's a lust for the journey with Jupiter yeah. and Sagittarius. Go and try yeah. the thing, do the thing, have the experience. Right, and w- one of the one of the things that uh, came to me when I was thinking a lot about Jupiter and Sagittarius last year um, was that the idea of the quest. Um, brings together the meaning seeking of Jupiter with the of Jupiter and Sagittarius and the traveling journeying in search of um, part as well as often the bringing together people. Now there are very few stories of journeys or quests where um, a party doesn't collect. you know the, that's yes. always part of the story. Yeah, one person sets out and then they meet this person and they go on together and then they meet a couple more. So it's the gathering really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh yeah, it's a, it's but it's it's a, yeah, it's a gathering in motion, right? You in find, motion with a purpose or something. Yeah, well, and you find out that you have uh, a purpose that aligns with someone else's because you both ended up on the same road heading in the same direction at the same time. Right. And uh, Christina Libetti in the chat in our live audience says that she always thinks of Jupiter as connected to humor. That's another good keyword for Jupiter and, and also Sagittarius to some extent. I think Jupiter probably rules dad jokes. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Oh, yeah. Dad jokes. Yeah. So this would be a good election for that. Um it's kind of emphasized. We we try to emphasize the Jupiter placement with the Moon being around thirteen degrees of Leo, and it's applying to a trine, sort of wide trine with Jupiter. It's not very good for eleventh house matters related to friends because it's got Mars in the eleventh house in a day chart, so it could be problematic for groups, associations, or other things related to that. Uh, not super good for financial matters as well because Saturn's. They're at 14 degrees of Capricorn, and it's got that applying square from Mars. So not a super good financial chart. We've got other charts this month in the elections podcast that are better for financial ones, but this is just primarily good for pure Jupiter in Sagittarius stuff. Yeah, so what are we going to do when Jupiter moves into Capricorn? I feel like this, is, um, this has been the best year to get into electional astrology ever, right. yeah. um, because you're like, ah, I don't know, do it when the moon's in Sag. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Probably put Sag on the probably put Sag on the rising. We're basically going to be without a Jupiter next year. Yeah, the whole year. We're we're just going to get really acquainted with Saturn and Capricorn elections, and like looking for really good Saturn elections. I think is going to be part of it, but that's going to be a much different energy with all that stuff in Capricorn for a while than what we've been dealing with this year. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I'm excited for the South Node to eventually leave Capricorn, and I'm excited for Saturn to move into Aquarius because uh, there there'll be some squaring of Uranus, but at least it, it won't be conjunct Pluto. I can yeah. work around. I can work around Uranus. Yeah, the nodes actually. I'm surprised at how soon the nodes shift. Like it's not that far from now. It's, no, it's well, like it's, it's May. Like eight mo- it's like yeah, it's like eight months. I don't. Know, I guess I was just thinking of it being like a two-year period. I guess I'm oh, often surprised months. that it's more yeah. like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes the eclipses will like border around closer to two years occasionally, but it's the nodes that are pretty strict about being eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. You get you get the eclipses kind of, are longer. Yeah, you get slot well and shorter. You get like slosh around the boundaries. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think that's because what you guys are really saying is that right now we've got outer planets and Saturn and nodes all on this Cancer Capricorn axis. And as we move through the first half of 2020, that's going to start to disperse so that it isn't such a collection of all those energies in the one place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also just this is the last time this next month, maybe month and a half, part of November yeah. is the last time you can get Jupiter and Sagittarius elections for the next 12 years. Yes. So when you start thinking of it in like that context, you know, it's going to be a while before we see this again. So definitely take advantage of it if you can. And I just hope that our resident, uh, I was going to say magician, even though I'm referring to a female, but maybe that's okay. I, I hope there's a lot of Jupiter in a bottle because we, we might need the supplies. This is a long time between <laughs> topping up the supplies. I, I currently have 12 Jupiter elections. For the next two months, and oh, fantastic. I'm, going to, I'm going to be narrowing them down uh, <laughs> to like the best couple, I guess, or the best few. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be you know, it's going to be like the Bachelor or the Bachelorette or one of those silly game shows. <laughs> They're going <laughs> to be like rounds best. and cuts. I'm going to see which you know which ones we're most in love with. Okay, it's like, it's like who you want to make your bride, <laughs> which election you want to go home with, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. fantasy football with electional astrology. Oh my god! Oh, oh, but the game is the game is real, Chris. The game is real. <laughs> the game is real right. life. It reminds me of that anecdote. Holden has this anecdote in the history of horoscopic astrology that was like this legend. I think about Bonatti or somebody where he created a talisman for somebody made out of wax under a super auspicious astrological alignment, and then he put it in a box and he gave it to this person and. The person suddenly became rich and fortunate, and everything started going well for them. But they um, talked to like a religious person, like a priest or something, who said who made them feel bad and made them second guess whether they were using like evil magic from the devil or something like that. I don't know if I'm relaying this correctly at all, so just bear with me. And then, so the person felt bad, and they ended up like smashing the <sighs> talisman and getting rid of it. But then all of a sudden everything started falling apart and they lost all their money and like their life left or whatever. And so the person comes back to Banati and he says, he says, I destroyed that thing and I felt bad and everything's going wrong. I need you to make me another one. <laughs> and then Banati replies, You fool, like that that astrological configuration won't recur for another 60 years. I can't remake it for you. You're out of luck. And I don't know what happens after that point in the story, but it's one of those funny like legends. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those funny legends. Like if there was like a Disney movie about astrology, like that would be one of the little central premises. Yeah. yeah and that can be motivation. Like I, I had a ring made when Saturn was in its exaltation degree in Libra last time because I knew that it was going to do that just then and not yeah. for another 30 years. You got to, you know, it, and Saturn, of course, is the slowest, but if you're looking for, I don't know, a dignified Saturn in configuration with another thing that doesn't happen very long, you know, very often. Um, the pressure is real. Yes. <laughs> and you yes. gotta, you gotta see what, you know, it's like the stories of like the flower that only blooms for a night every 60 years or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so you, you gotta be on the hunt. Well, yeah. And I guess there's, it's finding a balance. I'm just thinking this through, Austin. Like, Obviously, you want to get the best elections for the strongest things. But then I also wonder, since it's not happening again for another 12 years, 
Is there a part of the thought process that's like, well, we'll take this maybe B grade election because we we may as well bottle that even if it's not what we're going to release first, you know, thinking almost like winemakers and scotch makers maybe where it's like, this is our best and we'll release that first, but we will keep a little bit of, um, this isn't, you know, the best Jupiter and Sag, but it is still Jupiter and Sag and we're not going to get it otherwise for 12 years. Yeah. And that's part of the way I grade magical elections is on. So there's strength. There's the strength of the thing you want, but then there's how much of an admixture of what you don't want is there in there. And I'll take like a weak version of exactly what I want over a really strong what I want with weird side effects because you're still adding exactly what you want. You know, it's still wine and not like raccoon pee. Yes. And you know, I there, love these metaphors. There there are some late nights, right? Where, you know, you'd much yeah. rather have not the best wine. Like it's do you have another bottle or not? And if it's like, yeah, but it's not the best, it's the fourth bottle. It's the no fourth one, bottle. Who cares? No it's cares. still wine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's fantastic. But yeah, um, that that's that's always that that's absolutely a consideration. Yeah. Okay, this is I love this. Of course. Although, yeah. Of my of my twelve candidates, I know I can do better than fourth bottle uh, with at least two or three of them. Right. Okay. Of course you can. I'm sure. I mean, we are going to. Ha- I'm sure you've got the Venus Jupiter thing on your sight lines. Yeah, I've been thinking about. It. I don't know. We'll, we'll you talk like, about yeah, that I later. Don't, I don't want to preempt you because we all like to hear when you get it out. And that's our election for when you're coming out here, Kelly, isn't it? The Venus Jupiter conjunction. Oh, Shizes. Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah. We've already, we already are past We're self already, already onto saw that. It. <laughs> right. Um, so, tr- and that brings up to, to transition from Austin's raccoon pee metaphor. <laughs> uh, the, um, you're welcome. You're, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, the Electional Astrology Podcast. So, I'm going to release. So, that's the one election we're highlighting for this month. I think there's four other electional charts this month that we're going to highlight in the auspicious, elec- auspicious elections episode. Which I just released last night and is available now to patrons on the five and ten and twenty-five dollar tiers through our page on Patreon.com. I'm actually going to release last month's auspicious elections episode for September, where all of those elections are already used up. But I realize that most people who aren't patrons don't really know what we do in that, so I'm going to release a full episode from last month if you want to watch that through our page on YouTube, so you can see what the auspicious elections episodes are all about. And if you want to sign up, you can through our page on Patreon. So I think that's it for the elections for the month. Do we have any other forecast stuff that's going on that we completely spaced out and forgot to mention? I I might just mention the visibility factor with Venus and Mars mid-month, um, around the 15th. I just think it's interesting. We've had Venus and Mars in their kind of hidden close to the sun stage for quite a while now. So it's interesting that it's always great to have them come back to visibility uh, but it was it was just striking that it's happening within sort of the same twenty four hour period around the fifteenth. Okay, One, um, so Mars is going to be the morning star, and Venus will be evening star. Got it. So when they both reach about fifteen degrees at around give or take of yeah conjunction with the sun, they both start to uh, come out from underneath the beams of the sun and be distant distant enough from it that you can see them either. Early in the morning, just before sunrise, or uh, in the evening, just after sunset. 
Yeah, and Venus will be pretty bright by then. Venus is so much brighter than Mars. Yeah, you can sometimes even see Venus a little bit when it's when uh, when it's within the the orb of combustion. But getting getting clear of that fifteen degrees is a nice and important thing. That is that's oh I didn't realize that it happened basically on the same day. That's uh it's a good grab, Kelly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I'm not quite sure how I knew to look for that, but something occurred to me to look, and yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah. So people should pay attention in the mornings just before sunrise this month, especially increasingly in the second half of the month. You'll see Mars rise over the eastern horizon as a bright, sort of reddish star just before the sun rises. Um, at sun sunrise, and then in the evenings, you should pay attention, uh, especially increasingly in the second half of the month, where just after sunset, if you look over on the western horizon, you'll see Venus, sort of as a bright whitish twinkling star, set shortly after the sun does over the horizon. Yeah, I just the the interpretive piece that I was holding for this is the idea of the the. Venus and Mars becoming visible, some kind of clarity or insight, something that has maybe been a little bit hidden or a little bit obscured, starting to become clear, or you seeing something that you've been struggling to understand. Yeah, I also find that um, when the planets are invisible um, and then come back to visibility, it becomes easier to externalize things um, mm. of that planetary sphere that you've been thinking about. Right with Beautiful. Venus, it's like oh, I've been kind of feeling this way and that way. You can finally get it out and make it visible to other people. Yes, rather than be kind of just churning it inside. Yeah, and then I guess with Mars, it's probably acting on the things you've been thinking about doing, or the results of your your actions over the last two months, where it's been invisible, um, starting to bear fruit, seeing mm. the results of the actions. Yeah, yeah, especially that which started as an initially just purely internalized notion at the conjunction with the sun during the beginning of the synodic cycle, and then suddenly the planet emerges, and sometimes the thought or the internalized action uh, becomes externalized. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or let's say during as I I heard from a lot of people during the the really the tight Sun Mars conjunction. People are like, I'm going to do this new exercise thing, um, or I'm going to get on this schedule. You know, I'm going to get disciplined. Um, and, you know, that's, and then you might see that now that it's like a month and a half later, or a month, you know, about a month and a half later, right? Because you, there's doing the work and then there's getting to see the results. Yes. Um, which anybody who's ever, you know, dieted or exercises, <laughs> yes. or exercise, you, you know that there's a delay there. Yes. Yeah, you start the protocol, but you won't see any results right away. You have to give it time. You have to run the process. Yeah, you walk by the mirror and you're like, "Hey, <laughs> hey there, hey there, stranger." <laughs> That's fantastic. So yeah, I don't know. Did you guys have anything else, Austin? Did you want to throw anything else in for this month? Well, I don't know. I might. I I was um, I was muzzled for most of this podcast. And I know, but now you're coming through really clearly because of course I know. we're about to get a Gemini rising and the moon is done with Mars. Just to be clear to the listeners, I was not muzzled physically <laughs> or by or by Chris or Kelly. Um, right. It was it was a digital muzzle. It was an internet muzzle. And um, it's funny because now the the moon Kelly you've just noted is now separating from a conjunction with Mars, and we had it applying 
most of the earlier part of this episode, we were running into some of those technical frustrations. Yeah. Uh, which was funny because last month, uh, right about the time Mars hit the midheaven here in my location, we suddenly had all that construction noise. Yes. Uh, which I'm not ha- not happy to say has continued and gotten worse here. So that I'm, all of my interviews, you'll notice this month, have been happening at night at like eight o'clock, like this one, or ten o'clock, just because there's crazy noise here still, and I'm waiting for that to go away. Waiting patiently. Right. Very patiently. Do you, All right. Do you know so when Austin, yep. To- do you ahead. have something else to say? I don't know. I. I Are you I thinking sudden- now? Well, now I feel free to say, but I, I think the time has passed. Right. Okay. I kind of want to redo the whole introduction, but whatever. <laughs> there was a, there was a, I don't know if it's in the version we're going with or when the first version, I can't recall, but there was a moment where you started talking about the as above and your sound just went straight into the drunk. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like you're literally channel- channeling the Pisces full moon that you had your event on. Yeah, well, yeah, you didn't hear me because I, I talked about how I was actually on the Aries moon the day after. But ah, okay. hopefully it got recorded. I wanted the moon configured to Venus and Mercury, which had just moved into Libra. Oh, that's what you were trying to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad that you I clarified wanted, that. I wanted, I wanted that, that boisterous just past full moon configured yes. to a newly empowered benefic. I, I think actually you did tell us that actually. Yeah. And the, so you waited until the moon ingressed into Aries that yep. afternoon. Um, and <laughs> you did say such nice things about your wife then at that time, but it was kind of lost. Do you want to repeat them? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to. I just, <laughs> I'm teasing you. Well, I, I thanked everybody for coming out. It was um, a great night. Um, people came in from all over. I'm really grateful people were willing to do that. You know, Gordon flew in from Tasmania. So, you know, probably longest trip of all. And, um, you know, Kate earned a new hero badge, um, by handling all of the logistics and the arrangement and the lighting. And, you know, it, it went off without a hitch, um, because of Kate and it was, it was really great. I'm so happy. I'm so happy with such a success for you and for Gordon. And I'm so happy for what it says about astrology right now at this point in time, that something like that can be. So, like, so many people coming together for just a night together in person. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's another experiment on the Uranus in Taurus hypothesis that getting people together in person is radical um, and catalyzes things that the internet can't. Um, And apparently enough people agreed that they were willing to fly out. So, yeah. and I, I would say based on the feel of the night and the, and the feedback that that was true. And we're, we'll be doing a little bit of that in, uh, in November, yes. right? Three of us. Yes. Three of yes. cups. We were finally getting, yeah. getting together. We were talking about having you two rent like an Airbnb, which yeah. sounds like a funny sitcom in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Is- me up at seven in the morning doing yoga. <laughs> right. And Austin's, and Austin's like- still asleep. <laughs> channeling dead spirits like in the basement it's gonna be so fun yeah i'll still be up you'll yeah you i'll be waking up and you'll still be yeah that's yeah yeah uh, well there, there will have been a, a fine election for necromantic work the night before <laughs> you know people were laughing we're quoting our last one which was something about december about like electing the birth of the antichrist or something was your last oh, electional quote oh yeah well that's the um the solar eclipse 
on Christmas. On Christmas. That's an awesome electional chart for a, an antichrist baby. Yeah, but okay. I think somebody came up to me and said they're actually having a baby, and then. Well, that's awesome. Then we know who it is. <laughs> All right. Well, this is mm. not a great segue, but I'd like to mention our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, no. Kelly was born on a solar eclipse. I and she's actually lovely. yes. Thank you, Austin. <laughs> because yeah, Austin has confessed that he was basically born on the meat grinder, and I realize I have not confessed to our listeners that I am an eclipse baby. So you know. Eclipse babies, you might be. They might be a little bit vague, but no, not all antichrist like. <laughs> <laughs> that's not me at all. Um, but Chris, I can set you up for this because I'm okay. sitting at a table at this retreat with someone who has a honeycomb transits diary. Do are you? Yeah. Yes, Lisa and I've I just seen one got, in the flesh. And are you as excited about them as I am? Because they're so this amazing. Is, I'm like, called- where do I get one? Yeah, and I just heard about it at Norwalk, but then Lisa and I uh, got a couple of them and we're actually really impressed. And I don't know how they um, actually pulled this off, but let me share this on the video version. So the name of it is the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs. And what it is, is it's actually a printed um, yearly almanac that you can get which is not just like a generalized one, like a Llewellyn one where you get it and it's printed mm-hmm. up the same for everyone, but it's actually personally customized to your birth date and birth time and location. So it's actually based on your birth chart and then it creates a personal 12-month almanac just for you. Um, so it gives customized natal transit planners for professionals and student astrologers. Um, each almanac contains monthly and weekly calendars displaying astrological transits specific to the owner's natal chart alongside current mundane transit. So it actually, you'll like this part, Kelly. This has to be your favorite part that actually has an ephemeris for every single month. <gasps> Fantastic. Yes. And because it's your personal transits, it, you know, when it says the sun square Saturn, it's in your personal chart. Yeah, exactly. So it actually, it's sort of like some of the computerized ones you see elsewhere. But one of the things is that it's designed much better than any personalized almanacs I've ever seen. And it's also surprisingly affordable. Like I've seen one other personalized almanac, but it was like $100 or something. And these are just 20 or 30, which is just kind of shocking given how highly personalized that it is. So are you seeing this? This is like what yeah. comes, this is what came in the one that was sent to me. It has like a copy of your birth chart and shows your element and modality breakdown. You get like a personal ephemeris for your city, like your actual location each month, which is just beautiful. And then That's, it should- I, I'm, I think we need to pause on that. Everyone's going to be able to get all their highlighters out and figure out exactly what's happening. That's right. amazing. So that, it shows all the lunations, um, daily exact aspect transits. And, and so th- these are the transits to your personal chart. Yeah. And one of the ones I like the most is I the graphic that. ephemeris that it displays when it shows- uh, like exact aspects that you're getting to your natal chart and what the extent and duration as well as the exact hit. Because sometimes we focus too much on the exact hit and need to realize that it's like a it's like an orb, there's an orb of influence or an orb of when the transit is activated. Okay, so the dots are like the non-exact hits, but between the first and last exact hits. Yeah, it's like the vertical line is the exact hit, but then the straight non-dotted line is the like orb of activity in some sense. Ah. Yeah, I was very impressed when I saw it. Yeah. So anyways, so there's like a sort of 
perfect bound version and it comes with it. You can see my like sun, moon, and rising is printed right on the cover of it. And there's also a beautiful spiral bound version, which I think I prefer just because it lays oh, open yeah, totally. flat. You can open it. Yeah. And that's, the, like that's my favorite for diaries. Full color, not black and white. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So they are our sponsors this month. And it's exciting because I wanted to start doing sponsors so I can fly. I'm thinking about flying out to do an interview with possibly with Noel Till if I can. And that's one of the things that our sponsors are helping to do this month, helping us to to accomplish in addition to all of our patrons. Um, so it's exciting though, because I don't want to just like, you know, um, some podcasts will like advertise like underwear or other stupid stuff like that that you're not actually endorsing. But this is actually a product which I actually enjoy and is really cool and I feel like I can confidently endorse. So it comes in increments of six or 12 months, and you can find out more information about it at honeycomb.co. All right. So did you already order one, Kelly? No, but I'm, I will do it like as soon as we get off the show. Okay, cool. Well, thanks to them for sponsoring us this month and definitely check it out. Check out their website. and I'll probably- I literally just saw it today, which is why I can't believe that they're actually our show sponsor, which is fantastic. Yeah. Arian in the chat says 12 months for $35 for one or six months for 22. And that's like super cheap. Super cheap. All right. Um, anything else you want to mention? I did mean to mention I'm looking for a good yes. an astro- astrologer who's also good with WordPress. So if there's any listeners who are very good with WordPress and also have some background in astrology, let me know because I'm looking for somebody to help with my websites and different website related projects. Yes. Feel free. If you get some good, you can send your names to me too. We're looking for someone as well. And then Kelly, you wanted to mention that uh, registration is open mm. now for both the uh, Norwak has announced that their registration is open and ESAR will be announcing that this their weekend. registration is open for both of those conferences, which are taking place in May and September of next year. Yeah, yeah, they are. So I think by the time we're out live with this episode, both registrations will be open. So Norwax in May and then ESAR in September. So there's there's going to be some fun stuff next year astrologically. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll be Kelly. You and I will be at Norwax. Yes, and we'll definitely all be. I Chris, I don't remember whether you're, what you're doing at Norwax, but I know we're all we have a big thing all together. The at, three of um, us at at ESAR. We're actually. Can we say? Uh, yeah, I believe not, maybe we can not announce. The, I mean, oops. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we are going to be teaching together at ESAR. Yeah, well, we're going to do a podcast event. A podcast event. At the very least. I thought we were doing a workshop. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I guess that's it. So the, that is the podcast event is we're going to yeah. teach a workshop as a pre-conference workshop with the three of us. Very unique. First time this has ever happened as an opening thing at the ESAR conference for a full day-long workshop. Yeah. Yes. Six-hour podcast. <laughs> um, but also, I want to give a shout-out, Austin. I know that so many people are very excited about when your book comes out again, but you are going to be teaching on this next year, I think, at Norwalk, right? You're doing a workshop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and thank you for reminding me. Um, just because people keep asking um, – it's good. I'm working on the. I'm working on the second edition. I'm working with an artist. No reason it shouldn't be um, available to everyone before Christmas. I'd like to get it out the end of November. Maybe it'll be the second week of December. But it's getting done. There's not that much more to do. 
um, definitely be available by Christmas. And uh, yeah, my workshop at Norwak, we're going to do all 36 decans. And then we're going to spend an mm, hour or two, once we're acquainted with the decans, going through all of the decans, well, not all of them, but going through a number of decan specific techniques. Because uh, there's a lot, there are a lot, if you, you know, if you just scan traditional texts for decans, uh, you'll find a lot of decan specific techniques. Yes. There, which range from where to get a tattoo, um, to medical stuff, to... There's actually, oh, I think it's, it's, it's not in Rhetorius, but there's one that it's how to tell if uh, there are certain planetary combinations where if you have Venus in certain decans, you are certain to be a very lascivious person. <laughs> you have mentioned this before, Austin. <laughs> I was, uh, well, I, 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 I found it as I was packing my books and I was like, oh yeah, this is good. And I just like page through it because that's how I pack books. Um, extremely inefficiently, and there's just a whole section on um, on yeah how to how to wh what decans are uh, what Venus and what decans and under what conditions makes for uh, a voracious appetite for the company of others. Right. Well, all will be revealed at your Norwalk right. post conference workshop. <laughs> Yeah, but I just I think it's really exciting because I know people are so hungry for the material on the Deccans. So the fact that you're going to have the book reprinted and then you're teaching a workshop on it, I think that's really exciting. I think it'll be fun. I, yeah. I hope so, at least. I I, I think yeah. I'm going to definitely have fun. Yeah. Yeah, people are dying for the Deccans book to reprint it, and by then, Kelly, your book hopefully may also be out. Yeah. It, I don't know if we'll have it out for Norwalk. The goal is Isa. Okay. Yeah. Summer of Which will 2020. Be, yes. I am already clearing my schedule in the first half of next year to uh, ensure that we can meet our deadline. Oh, I really, I want to try to write like 40 books next year. I have a huge back. <laughs> I have like an, I have like an, I, I have like a, an anti-library of the books that I've been saying that I'll get to for yeah. like five years. There's just like a big empty space where my work is supposed to go. And it's just like, it, it it's uh, yeah, it's an eye of disappointment. It looks a it looks upon me with disgust. Well, I just think I don't know, Austin. I've always thought I don't know. I just had this feeling. I mean, we could maybe speculate as to why, but I'm like, I always thought, yeah, in my forties, I'll I'll get to writing all the books, so we can share that and okay, get them all out in the next decade. Yeah, we'll write all the books. Put our satins to work. <laughs> and Chris, are you going to do another one? Since we're speaking I'm of book writing. I'm trying to decide about writing a shortened version of the book because a lot of people want to translate it into different languages, but it's too, uh, too it's big. so long. It's, too, it's a long it's too book. Many, Is it a long, it's long book? book? There's too many footnotes, and I'm trying to decide if I want to write a shortened version of the book so it can be translated, but it feels a little bit like going back to an old project rather than forward to a new one. However, uh, I, ha I have been reading Abu Mashar's Greater Introduction recently, and I understand now why he wrote the shorter introduction, which is like a much abbreviated version of the longer book, and I can see the appeal of doing something like that. Okay. So you got a Fair. few like irons in the, the fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and I actually made a discovery with Abu Mashar about some lost he's citing some like lost ancient Greek work that actually may explain the rationale for the domicile and the exaltation schemes and actually seems to provide a tropical rationale for those rulership schemes, which is really interesting because it could mean the original rationale for 
the domicile assignments and the exaltation assignments is firmly based on a tropical rationale. So I'm, I'm actually starting to write a research paper on that because I think it was a it may be a super huge discovery, and it could be the other piece to that was missing. That was sort of an addition or a follow up to the planetary joys discovery that Ben Dykes and I made several years ago that I published a paper on in 2012. So I'm hoping to have a announcement about that soon. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Anything else? Any other miscellaneous stuff? It looks like we're at an hour and 42. So either we can wrap it up now, or unless you guys have any like miscellaneous astrology discussion topics. Um, I think we got everything, but um, I mean, I'm always happy to keep talking. Well, I would just like to make a. Here's an idea, Chris. Yeah. yeah. What if for the for the the cut down version of the big book, what if you um, what if you worked with an editor that you trusted and let somebody else do a cut and then see what you think? Oh, that's because, a great idea. Because you wrote the book that you wanted to write, but this would necessarily be for a different audience. Just as an experiment, um, sure. Just as an idea. Yeah. You listen not- to their their remix. Right. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. That's a good point. I mean, there's basically just a lot of history stuff that I can cut out of the book because I wanted part of the book was reconstructing the historical origins of where Western astrology came from, and that took about 200 pages. Then there was a long chapter on the philosophy, and then there was also an excessively long chapter on like the origins of the house division debate and where the three different approaches to house division came from. Because I was trying to solve all of the mysteries of like Western astrology in about seven hundred pages, but there's a lot of that stuff that I can uh, I can cut out or I can abbreviate pretty easily and get the book down to I don't know two or three hundred pages. Yeah, when some people just want to know how how to do it. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much like we just released one of the episodes Lisa and I released this month was a recording of us leading a meeting of the Denver Astrology Group and just going. We just introduced perfections very briefly and explained how it worked, and then we started asking audience members to apply that to your, their chart and share their examples. And, and when people start talking about their life stories like that, it very much replicates what happens in a consultation and the kind of interesting mm-hmm. and informative stories that you see when you're reading somebody's chart. Um, but there's so many basic techniques like that that we've recovered from Hellenistic astrology that I'd love just to have a much more concise treatment of so that astrologers can start putting them into into practice right away and just seeing how effective that system is. So that's the other appeal about writing a book where people don't get bogged down or scared away by the history, but instead just get the best techniques that they can start applying to charts right away. Yeah, yeah just definitely. like a how-to. Uh, yeah, like just this is how we do it. This is how we do it. <laughs> there, there you go. There's the theme song. <laughs> just don't get me to sing it. I'm like not musical at all. No, I well, think that's that gonna... has to be the theme song. Is yeah. you singing us into no. our our oh podcast? My God, absolutely right. not. If I'm singing, you guys are dancing. All uh, right, deal. We... <laughs> Austin's agreed to that for both of us. Oh my gosh, that would be really cool. I think Annual Perfections deserves just a little book that's not huge, just so people can uh, so... it can be disseminated. So I actually I do have an astrology related uh, a re- astrology related topic I would like to bring up because I think it's appropriate for the podcast. Um, so there was the a lot of people started talking about was it the Astra Inferni or whatever like the 
um, basically there, there's a concept that's become very popular, uh, and I, I believe, yes. Brazilian astrology, um, which is that watch out for the last month leading up to your birthday. Mm-hmm. And my immediate thought was like, oh, that's monthly perfections. Yeah. Because um, we have our yearly perfections, but then you can just like, uh, or much like zodiacal releasing, you can chunk down perfections several levels. And so monthly perfections is a very common technique. And so you're always in the 12th house during the month leading up to your birthday. And obviously- the 12th house relative to the yearly perfection. Yep, exactly. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay. So that, that you know, that- that I that I that apparently recently popular idea does have some some anchorage in um, solid technique. Yeah, I always see have seen there be sometimes like a preview of the the perfection year to come that sometimes kicks in in that month just before your birthday, and I always figured it was because it's activating the twelfth house relative to the yearly perfection in mm. the monthly perfections, and the twelfth house sometimes. As a cadent house, does have this precursor type feel? Yeah. Well, and also the you have to deal with this before you get to whatever's next. Personally, I, I like perfections uh, on a monthly level on a sign basis. I I very consistently observe mm. that my perfections start when the sun goes into Pisces, even though my birthday isn't for a couple weeks. There's oh, interesting. Yeah, so you uh, think it's the perfection preview starts when the sun ingresses back into its natal sign? Yeah, uh, and I've seen that over and over and over again. It was like a hunch and a suspicion a few years ago, uh, and at this point, that's just my default. Obviously, okay. the date of birth, you know, the actual day of mm. the solar return matters, and your solar return isn't timed to the sun's ingress into your sign, but the um, the perfection stuff all seems to switch. Yeah, so, there's. Go ahead. Oh, anyway, so if I were going to modify the uh, the the astral inferno or whatever concept, I would probably say it's when the sun is in the sign previous to the sign that the sun was in when you were born. That's interesting. Yeah, I've been uh, in doing some different episodes this month. I did an interview with Helen Avalar and Re- Luis Ribeiro about their work in in ah. medieval. Medieval astrology, and then I did the William Lilly episode finally this month with Nina Griffin, and it's been interesting seeing some of the variations in perfections and in the perfections doctrine and how that changed during the course of the tradition due to the, some of the shifts that happened with house division. And so it's like you've got a pretty straightforward. Since they were using whole sign houses in the Hellenistic tradition, you're just counting like one sign. And one house, since the houses and signs coincide with each other mm-hmm. perfectly, so it's pretty clean. You're just going from the rising sign, one sign per year, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, but then eventually, at some point in the medieval tradition, by the time of Abu Mashar, you've got quadrant houses starting to emerge as a more separate thing that's going on, and there's some shift towards using quadrant houses more than whole sign houses. But Abu Mashar is interestingly still primarily. Treating perfections as a sign-based technique because he's inheriting it from the earlier tradition of like Dorotheus and Valens, where they're clearly counting by signs. So he's still trying to maintain that to some extent. Um, but then later, in some of the later medieval astrologers and Renaissance astrologers, you have them perfecting by house using quadrant houses, or you have some of them, uh, like I think Nina, for example, explained that she perfects at a continuous rate, so it's moving forward thirty degrees a year. 
And then there's subdivisions within that based on moving it forward just like a, a degree or two um, at a certain rate. Yeah, I believe that that's the method delineated by Lily. He does it by degree. Okay, yeah. so that's Lily's approach. That would make sense, if Nina, like with Nina's background. Yeah, but it was just interesting seeing some of those different variations, even in a very simple technique like perfections, mm. based on some of the trans- transitions and changes that happened during the course of the tradition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Totally. All right, guys. Well, it is late at night, and we're getting here to about <laughs> two hours for this episode. We had some delays, so maybe we can wind it down for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining me today, both of you. Um, I'm really excited to see you both in person in a couple of months. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always so fun, and I'm so excited for November. Yeah, it'll be really nice. Hopefully, I will be able to come to you both being shorn of my faces rewriting duty. I will yes. have all my final edits and I'll be able to, it'll be off to layout. All the illustrations will be done. I'll be able to come to you with a, with a clean conscience and an, uh, an open mind. Brilliant. And so yeah, that, that's all I'm doing in October. The, I, I don't have any classes people can join. I'm not doing readings. The series from Sphere and Sundry that I elected, or a couple of them are coming out. It's Denebel, Full Moon on Denebel Getty, and um, an ancestral series. That's all I got. Brilliant. Well, I'm looking forward to your book coming out so people can stop asking me where they can find your book. Yes. It's not <laughs> it's available. It's $15,000. It literally is. On, on e- yeah. eBay, there's people selling it for like $1,500 for some copies. Yes. And when it comes out, it will be priced as a normal book. Yes. Brilliant. So just, just a couple more months. Awesome. All right. Well, and I'm making some changes to the podcast because I'm always trying to improve. And one of the things, there was a lot of things I did with the podcast when I started that were just placeholders until I found something better, like the theme music or me not really knowing what to say at the end and just saying, we'll see you next time. So I need a uh, catchphrase. And I used to use one in my electional column, which is kind of hacky, but I always thought it was... is useful, which is, uh, may the stars be ever in your favor. So barring somebody submitting and coming up with a better sign-off, uh, and if you want to send me one, want to email me one, then definitely let me know. I think that's going to be my new sign-off for the Astrology Podcast. What do you guys think? Do I have any ideas? If you come up with anything, let me know. How but otherwise, a more fatty motherfuckers? <laughs> I think we'll we'll have to put a poll up, and I'll put that as one of the the votes. I mean, a more fatty is fine, but I think we'll drop the like MF at the end. I was just trying to make it approachable, <laughs> right? Yeah, love lo- love your fate is very approachable. All right, well, I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. <laughs> no more suggestions. I'm sure we'll get some suggestions. I look forward to hearing from them. And maybe in the Facebook forum for the uh, patrons, maybe we'll do like a poll or something like that. That'd be fun. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Uh, That's it. So uh, may the stars be ever in your favor, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Amor fati. Thanks to the patrons who supported the production of this episode through our page on patreon.com, including patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology available at portlandastrology.org, and finally the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanac available at honeycomb.co.